This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. I'm Stuart Finlay. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. Today it's Ed Marks with Witness Lee with our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John. The title is The Need of Those Under the Bondage of Sin, Life Setting Free. The verses are John chapter 7 verse 53 through to chapter 8, 59. If you'd like to contact us, our telephone number is Hamilton 853-2620, which we will repeat again later. Now here's Ed and Witness Lee. Ed, in previous weeks, we have discussed the different cases in the Gospel of John and how the Lord meets the need of every man. Can you give us some background for today's message on life's setting free of those under the bondage of sin? Yes, we want to see again from the Gospel of John how Christ as life meets the need of every man's case. No matter what your case is, Christ as life can meet your need. There are nine cases in John chapter 3 through 11 which unveil this in a full way. In John chapters 3 through John chapter 7, what we've seen in previous programs is that Christ wants to be man's life and life supply. In John chapter 3, Christ as life regenerates man. In John chapter 4, Christ as life satisfies man and heals man from all the sickness of sin. In John chapter 5, Christ as life enlivens man. In John chapter 6, Christ as life feeds man with himself as man's spiritual food to be man's spiritual sustenance. And in John chapter 7, Christ as life quenches the thirst of man to be man's satisfaction. Now we come to another section, which is John 8 through 11. What we see in this particular section is that Christ as life delivers us from three negative things. When Christ as life comes into us, he delivers us from sin, blindness, and death. In this particular chapter, John chapter 8, what we want to see is that Christ as life sets us free from the bondage of sin. Now let's join Witness Lee and this week's Life Study of John Chapter 8, dealing with the problem of sin and life's setting free of those under the bondage of sin. Now, let us see how the Lord, as life to us, has dealt with our first negative thing, that is sin. To see this, 
the first point we have to take care is religion as represented by the temple of law. The religion of law, of law keeping, of good work doing. Such a religion is versus the great I am. This chapter mainly takes away the veil to show us right there on this earth among the humankind are two things. One is a religion. The other is a living person. The religion was one that was so good, so high, so super. Not a kind of a heathen religion, not a kind of a religion of superstition. No, but a typical, genuine, super religion on the top, helping people to worship God, helping people to know God in the outward way of letters, and helping people to try their best to keep the law of God, to please God, and also helping people to behave themselves, to make themselves perfect. I tell you, this is the top invention in human culture. But God's elect, God's chosen people, they got the wrong concept. They didn't pay the full attention to the focus. That is God himself in the person of the Son and also as the person of the Spirit to get into man as man's life and as man's everything. They missed this mark. They tried their best to collect all the regulations and laws, good points, and put them together to make a religion. So by that time, in chapter 8, I tell you, two things were on the earth. Religion existing there. A living person standing there. This is the portrait. You all have to see this. This is the portrait. The religion of love, not of superstition. Not of nonsense talk like Buddhism, but such a wonderful, typical, genuine, top religion of law <laughs> in every aspect is good, but only one aspect is very, very poor. That is, it is versus the great I I. Religion is good, but it cannot give you life. Religion is on the top, but it cannot help you a bit because you are a dead person. A dead person needs not something good, but something as life. Only life can help a dead person. Now, the Lord Jesus is here. Who is he? He is the I. I. He is the very Jehovah. God, Elohim, is the title for his creation in chapter 1 of Genesis. 
after the creation, right in chapter 2, when God was trying to get into relationship with man, God's other name, Jehovah, was brought in. So Jehovah was the name of God in relation with mankind. And this very Jehovah that day was there, standing there, in the form of a little man. The religionists in that day, they missed the mark just because they despised this little Jesus. So they missed the mark, yet he was the great I am. Then we go on. This great I am, who is God himself in relation with men, became the son of man. It's quite meaningful. Yes, to become the son of man is to humble himself, to bring him down to lower standard. But I tell you, this is more than needed. Why? Because all the negative problems are now just in man. Sin is in man. The serpent is in man. Now man is the very focus of all the problems. So if he's going to uh, solve all the basic problems of man, surely he has to become a man. Satan was not afraid that the Lord Jesus was the Son of God. Satan was not afraid of that. Satan was afraid of the Lord Jesus being a man. Ed, let's interrupt here because I have a question that I think a lot of people probably have. Witness Lee said that Satan was not afraid that the Lord Jesus was the Son of God. But Satan was afraid of the Lord Jesus being a man, being the son of man. Why is that? Why didn't God just deal with Satan as God? Why did he have to become a man? What we need to see is that man is the focus of every problem in the universe. When man fell, Satan as sin entered into man to corrupt man, to pollute man. So, in Romans 7, what we see is that sin dwells in man in a personified way. Sin lords it over man. Sin forces man to do things that he doesn't want to do. So, what we need to see is that because the element of Satan as sin is in man, what the devil fears the most is God becoming a man. God became a man to destroy the devil. In 1 John 4, what we see is that the evil spirits, they will not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh because they know that when God becomes a man, they are defeated. God became a man, and he went to the cross, and he took away the sin of the world, which was in man, and he destroyed the devil on the cross who had come into man as the element of sin to spoil and corrupt man. On the positive side, what we need to see is why God became a man. Why did he become a man? It was so that he could accomplish his eternal intention and his heart's desire. The Bible unveils to us 
that God's heart's desire is that he wants to be united with man, mingled with man, and incorporated with man so that he can live in man and that man can live in him so that man can be his eternal expression in this universe. Let's rejoin the message. Now, the aspect related to sin. No man without sin. Let me tell you the story. The religionists, up to this point, were trying their best to uh, find some fault with the Lord Jesus. They didn't have an occasion. They didn't have an opportunity to do this. Now, you know, after chapter 5 and after chapter 7, the religionists did their best to catch a chance to uh, put this life, Jesus Christ, into a false situation. They called a sinful woman. According to the law, such a sinful woman had to be stoned to death. But uh, they didn't do it. They brought this sinful woman to the Lord Jesus, trying to catch him, asking him, Master, here's a woman so sinful. According to the law, Moses brought us, she should be stoned to death. What would you say? They thought they were wise, full of wisdom, but actually they were really stupid. They thought if the Lord Jesus would say, forget about her, my, the opposite love this man, this man is breaking the law. If the Lord Jesus say, I stone her to death, surely the Lord Jesus will lose or would have lost the sympathy from the people. So <clears throat> this, uh, this was a good chance to catch him. But when they asked, the Lord Jesus didn't say a word. You know, the most wise way to answer a question is not to answer. Or to answer slowly. The Lord didn't answer. The Lord stooped to write something on the ground floor, not on the table. Quite meaningful. By doing this, I believe the Lord Jesus showed them, you people are too proud. You have to humble yourself at least a little bit. Don't you realize you are as sinful as this woman? So I do believe, you know, when I was young, long time I was trying to find out what the Lord Jesus was writing on the ground floor. But now I do believe he was writing, who is without sin? While they were asking, what should we do with this woman? What should we do with this woman? What would you answer? The Lord Jesus wrote in big letters, who is without sin? They look at, who is without sin? I am not. <laughs> no one is without sin. And they checked, 
and they charged and they challenged. And eventually, the Lord Jesus stood up. Okay, let me tell you. You may stone her to death, but uh-huh, you need one to take the lead. No one is qualified to take the lead, but that one who is without sin. Who is without sin among you? Let him take the lead to stone her to death. I tell you, this word touched their conscience. And I do believe, even before this word was spoken, I believe they saw what the Lord was writing there. Here, the Bible says, they all ran out. Well, Ed, here was another fascinating confrontation between the Lord Jesus and the religionists. Here, once again, they were trying to trap him. But it's interesting, isn't it, how the Lord turned the situation, not only to help the sinner, but also to expose the religionists. This is an amazing account in John chapter 8. In this account, what we see is that Christ went to the temple early in the morning to teach the people. And as he was teaching, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the very act of adultery and set her in the midst of the people. And then they said to the Lord, this woman has been caught committing adultery in the very act. Well, the Lord's answer was marvelous here. The Lord is not in the realm of yes and no, right and wrong, good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He is in the realm of life. He is in the realm of the tree of life. So he didn't answer them according to right and wrong. Actually, what he did was he asked them a question, and this question exposed them. First of all, when they came to him, in such an intense situation, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote on the ground, but it may very well be that what he wrote on the ground was, Who among you is without sin? Then when they persisted in asking him, he said, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. No one is without sin. We have no right to condemn anyone. And so when the Lord asked this question, all of them went away. So he exposed them that they also were sinners, just like this adulterous woman. He was the only one who was without sin. He was qualified to condemn her, but he wouldn't condemn her because he didn't come to condemn man, but to save man and to set man free from sin. Then he also said, go and from now on sin no more. Not only does the Lord forgive us from our sins, but he comes into us as the divine life to set us free from the bondage of sin. And the way we're set free from the bondage of sin is by enjoying him as our life and our life supply and as the light of life. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Now, how to solve the problem of sin? Only one man is without sin. That is the Lord Jesus. Only he is without sin. Only Jesus is qualified to condemn sin. But how did he would not. He could, but he would not. Only he is qualified to condemn sin, but he would not do it. He is qualified to forgive man's sin, 
and able to set men free from the unslavery of sin. Why? Because only He not only can give you life, but enter into you as your life. Satan's subtle way is not just to cause you to do something wrong. His subtle way was that he has injected himself into you. Sin is no more just an objective wrong thing to you. Sin has become a very subjective nature of your being. Sin is no more societal of you. Sin now is something inside of you. And this something inside of you even has become the very you. It is right in your nature. And whatever help that is outside of your nature doesn't work. And it will never work. So what you need is another life to get into you. And no one can be such a life. Plato, no. Confucius, no. No one can be a life to enter into you. In the human history, only one that can get into us and be our life. To encounter the serpentine nature within us. We got a serpentine nature. We need another life to encounter this evil nature. Confucius cannot do it. Plato cannot do it. No one can do it but the great I am who is Jehovah. He can get himself into us as our life to be versus the serpentine nature. Because our unslavery is not an outward thing. Our unslavery is an inward thing right in our nature. We need another life and a higher plane, a stronger life, a richer life, a super life that can set us free from this unslavery. Only Jesus can be such a life, and he's really such a life because he is the divine life. The divine life is higher than the human life. The divine life is higher also than the satanic life. Hallelujah. This divine life gets into us to what? Defeat the serpentine life and nature. Ed, in this final section today, there is a revolutionary view concerning sin, the problem of sin, and the solution for sin, isn't there? Could you say more about this? Yes. This chapter unveils to us that fallen men are the children of the devil. In John 8:44, the Lord tells the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. So this shows that fallen man is a child of the devil. Even the Lord Jesus unveiled when he talked to the scribes and the Pharisees. 
He referred to mankind as a generation of vipers. Now, John chapter 8 also shows us the solution for this indwelling sin as the element of Satan within the flesh of man. Well, the solution is a wonderful person. The solution is Christ himself. Christ comes into us. Firstly, John 8 shows us four aspects of Christ by which we are freed from the bondage of sin. John 8.12 shows us that Christ is the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall by no means walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. How can we be freed from the bondage of indwelling sin? It's by Christ who lives in us as the light of the world and who imparts himself into us as the light of life to free us from the darkness and bondage of sin. Christ also unveils in this chapter, in verses 24, 28, and verse 58, that he is the I Am. He is the great I Am. He said, unless you believe that I Am, you will die in your sins. He also frees us from the bondage of sin as the Son of Man lifted up on the cross to destroy the devil and to take away the sin of the world. Finally, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, in verse 32. Then in verse 36, he says, If therefore the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. So Christ, as the truth, as the reality, he sets us free from the bondage of sin. So what is the solution for the bondage of sin? How can we be freed from the bondage of sin? It's by Christ himself coming into our spirit to be our life and everything, as the light of the world, as the great I am, as the Son of Man lifted up on the cross, and as the unique reality in this universe. Praise the Lord that we have such a wonderful Christ living in us to set us free from the bondage of sin. Thank you for listening. In chapters 8 through 11, three cases form a group of signs, signifying that the Lord is life to us to deliver us from three main negative things, sin, blindness, and death. At the time of John 8, Jehovah stood there in the form of a little man by the name of Jesus, which means Jehovah the Savior. God's greatest desire is that he can get into man and live in man so that he can be expressed in man. Only he was qualified to condemn sin, but he would not. He would not condemn the sinful woman because he had not come to condemn sin, but to free man by man enjoying the Lord Jesus. We're always happy to hear from you and answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and these are free. We'd love to send you a copy. If you'd rather, you can order a free copy from Bibles for New Zealand, that's at bfnz.org.nz. They also have a phone number, 0800 40 40 80. Or you can call us on Hamilton 853 2620. Again, 853 2620. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30pm, when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close today with the hymn, It is by Such Faith which is from the CD, Faith and Love.
You're listening to Free FM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you've enjoyed today's life study program and thank you for joining us. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This Free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.